time of day, and I'm going to take my time. If you would, turn with me or look on your screens. We're going to go to the book of 1 John, the fourth chapter, and we're going to read from the 7th through the 11th verse. Brother Willis, if you get an extra microphone ready for me for just one second. We have it? All right. Good. If you would, um, I'm going to go ahead and read with y'all that way. I got to do all this moving around with the iPad. All right. So, John is, uh, my Bible study crew knows he's the brother of James. He's one of the sons of thunder, or one, one of the people that was called the sons of thunder. And he's writing to this group of people, and I want everybody to see what he says. He says, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. Next verse. He says, the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. Somebody real loud for your mask. Say, God is love. God is love. So you can't know him. You can't know God if you don't know love. Next verse. He says, this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Keep going. This is the kind of love that we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that they've done to our relationship with God. Our last verse says, my dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love one another. Somebody say amen. Amen. Today we're going to come from you to where we're going to talk about what's love got to do with it. Y'all remember that old Tina Turner song, what's love got to do? God, I've done enough singing for the day, y'all not going to get me again, all right? What's love got to do with it? So every week we've been talking about something with God, right? We talked about God is holy, we talked about God is good, and then Chaplain Luke reminded us, if somebody tells you something that doesn't line up with God's word, we need to shake it off. So we're going to continue that series today by talking about that God is love. Not only is God good, not only is he holy, but that God is love. Go ahead, um, um, everybody, um, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, there was this song that I want to see who's the first person that can remember what this song is from. Go ahead and play that next song. First person that remembers what this is, go ahead and tell me when you hear this song. What is that?
it says, so many people use your name in vain. And it was rumored on the internet that, uh, that he actually was actually calling for going to call the song Lord, but that the music industry they really didn't think that the song would get the buzz that it wanted to if they called it Lord. So he actually changed the name of the song to Love, feeling that it would kind of have the same concept. But he makes a good point when he talks about so many people use your name in vain. And how many of us know somebody here that says, oh, I love you, and all this other good stuff, but they have no really idea what love is really about? Anybody ever experienced somebody like that? Preferably, it's not us that that's happened to, all right? So I want to ask anybody in here today, and I want you to just be honest. What is your definition of love? Anybody tell me, just shout it out. What do you think, if you have to make no right or wrong answer, it's not going to bash anybody, anybody else. What do you think love is? Anybody? Taking care of others. Taking care of others. I like that. Anybody else? Being kind to others. Being kind to others. I love it. Anybody else? Treating others as you would have them. Treating others as you would have them to treat you. Outstanding. All of these are great definitions of love. And preferably all of us have experienced something like that, at least at some point in our life. Last question I'm going to ask you. What is the greatest act of love you've ever seen? Anybody? What's the greatest? Say again. To give but not looking to receive. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. To lay down your life for another. To lay down your life for another. And both of those are biblical answers. The Bible says, greater love have no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. And this statement, so in the music soul child said that so many people use the name and love in vain. It was true 21 years ago when he wrote the song, and it's still true today. All right, the statement is still true. But for whatever reason, uh, we toss this word around all the time, but many people don't have a real true biblical understanding of what love is or what love really looks like. And when we don't understand what love really looks like, we'll mistake love for something that looks like love or feels like love, but it's not really love. All of us have had that emotional love where things feel real good when you're with that person and everything like that. But then later on you find out that they were trying to share that same feeling with someone else. And so they said that they loved you, but in their actions, their actions didn't back up what came out of their mouth. Anybody ever had an experience like that before? I certainly know I have. So when, when they teach people in banks how to spot a counterfeit bill, they spend most of the time, the overwhelming amount of time, they spend not in studying the counterfeit, they study the real thing, the authentic, genuine article. And they look at it over and over and over and over again. That way when they see something that don't line up with what they've been studying, they're like, no, nah, bro, we, we, we're not doing that here. That's a counterfeit. And so if we really want to understand what true love looks like, we don't spend our time examining the people who really did love us, but we got to spend our time looking and understanding what true love actually is. And maybe many of us have struggled with actually giving love or receiving love because we've never really understood a true biblical definition of what love really looks like. So in the Greek, and you can help me out here this way, in the Greek in language, there was actually four kinds of love. All right, in the English, we just got love, and you got to figure out which one we mean. But in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, it had four kinds of love. The first one was eros, which is where we get the word like erotic or erotica. That's the sensual, sexual type of love. All right. Then they had storge, which is familial love. All right, that's like the love that you have for your family, the love I have for my father, my children who are here today. That would be familial or storge love. And then we have phileo. 
which is like where we get the name for Philadelphia, which is called the city of brotherly Exactly, the city of brotherly love. All right, so that's brotherly love. And then the last one is called agape, which is a selfless, spiritual, it's an unconditional love that, as my sister said, it gives without looking for something in return. It's a selfless, just giving love. It's a sacrificial love that doesn't look for something in return. And so just let me give you a little bit of context to the scriptures that we were reading. First John was actually written by John to a believers, to a bunch of Christians that were living in a city called Ephesus. And his purpose was to encourage these Christians about their relationship and their fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so the first two chapters, it's only five chapters, the first two chapters deal with the basis of their fellowship. Everybody say basis. Basis. It deals with the basis of their fellowship. And the final three chapters deal with the behavior of their fellowship. Alright, say behavior. Alright, too easy. Alright, so the basic message that John is trying to get across to these believers is this. That sin destroyed our relationship or our fellowship with God, but God sent his son as a sacrifice for our sin, and his sacrifice clears away all the damage that was done to our relationship. And now, because of what Jesus did, we have restored fellowship. We can connect with Jesus again, and, and that is the basis of our relationship with him. So Jesus Christ establishes the basis of our fellowship or our relationship with him. Everybody with me so far? Alright, so now that we understand the basis or the foundation of our fellowship, he says now we've got to deal with the behavior. Alright, so once I establish the basis of my relationship with my wife, now that means that I have to act a certain way in my behavior towards her as a husband. Alright, everybody know when you when you are just dating, there's just certain behaviors that is acceptable, but then when you get married, how I many you know that behavior takes a step up? There's certain more responsibilities because the basis of our relationship now is in covenant. Somebody say amen. Y'all with me? Alright, so notice now, and this is really important, notice the basis comes before the behavior. We get it confused a lot of times in Christianity, and we think that behavior must come first, then you get a relationship. And so you'll have people that will tell you, oh, you got to do this, and you can't do that, and you can't say this, and you can't go here, and you can't be like this if you're going to be saved. But that's not what we just talked about. John says the basis of our relationship is not what we do in our behavior, but it's based on the behavior of what Jesus did. Somebody say amen. So it's his behavior that establishes our relationship. And aren't you glad about that? Because if our relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ was based on how we acted, we'd be in a world of hurt. We'd be in a world of hurt. But thank God that the basis of our relationship, the basis of fellowship was established by him. And as a result of that, that's now he says, now that we're in relationship, now that we're in covenant relationship, I want you to act a certain way because of who you are. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, y'all with me so far. All right, so I'm going to prove it to you. Y'all know this scripture is the most, probably one of the most popular ones in the world. Watch what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, Believe hold up, no, that whosoever says ten hell merits. Is that what it said? Okay, the whosoever goes to church every Sunday. Is that what it said? No, it said, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So what is the basis of our relationship? What did you just say? Belief. And that is all that is required to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. So why do we let so many people put other stipulations? 
believe. God says, if you come in and you just believe in me, I'll help you with everything else, and I'll make sure that you get right. But don't feel like you got to get right and then come to me. Because we'll never be right enough to come to him and think that now we'll be acceptable. Somebody say amen. amen. That should be freeing so that you don't feel bad when we mess up. So that when I sin, when I don't dot every I, when I don't cross the T, I don't have to feel so horrible because I understand that my relationship with Jesus, his love for me, is not based upon what I do, it's based upon what he did. So I got a couple of points and we're going to walk through this together. Number one is he says it's the directive to love. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Notice here, James is not giving a suggestion or a recommendation. He's giving a divine directive. He's not asking us. This is an authoritative instruction. It's like a commander gives you an order. So in, in Matthew 20, uh, 22, 37 through 40, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus, he says, Hey man, teacher, what's the greatest law in the whole Bible? And you know what Jesus tells him? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And then he said, the second and greatest, you know, the second one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the part that I love. He says, all the law and the prophets came on these two commands. So what Jesus is saying is, everything that was written in the entire Old Testament, that's what he meant when he said law and prophets. Everything that was in the Old Testament, if you want to follow all those 613 laws, all you got to do is two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's vertical. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's a picture of the cross. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. How do I do this, chaplain? Well, it sounds exactly like what is commonly referred to as the golden rule. Somebody, anybody, what's the golden rule say? Say that. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you, or as you would wish for them to do unto you. And again, he says it right there, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. He said, hope on finding for me, like, this is a consistent thing we're catching here, right? So Jesus is letting us know, if you really want to please me, just treat people the way you want them to treat you. And I'm not asking you to do it. I'm not suggesting for you to do it. I'm giving you a divine directive to love one another. For those of us who are Christians, there are no loopholes, excuses, or justification for not loving someone, Chris. Because if it was, he was talking to a lawyer, and you know if anybody in the world knows how to find a loophole in something, it's a lawyer. So Jesus tells his lawyer, ain't no loopholes in this. If you are a Christian and you want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to love one another. Because the basis of our behavior is not on what the other person does, it's based on what we do. God is not going to hold us accountable and say, oh, well, you didn't have to love them because they talked about you. Or, oh, they did you wrong and betrayed you, so you don't have to love them. God says, no, it doesn't matter how they treat you. I'm giving you a divine directive to love them as you wish they would love you. Not love them like they love you, but love them as you wish that they would love you. Somebody say amen. I know it's tight. It got me too last night when I was studying. I had to go repent a little bit for some stuff. So that's the first thing is the divine directive. We've got to love one another. Point number two is the direction of love. He says, I'm going to give you the directive first. Then I'm going to tell you why I'm going to give you the direction of love. He says, because love is from God. That's 
where it comes from. It doesn't come from Satan. It doesn't come from the world. It comes from God. And the reason that we're commanded to love one another is that love came to us first. We were the first ones to receive love. And every single one of us in this building is a recipient of the unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless love of Jesus Christ. And watch this, none of us deserve it. Especially me. I, I can't speak for y'all, but I can positively say I know I don't deserve the type of love that Jesus Christ gave to me. We met the love of God before we met the God of love. I'm going to say that again. We met the love of God before we met the God of love. Before you and I ever entered the world, Jesus gave us his image and his likeness. We only came into the world because he breathed into us the breath of life. And before we were even born, he gave us the greatest gift of all, which was his son that died for our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus left the comfort of heaven, lived innocently as a man on earth. He was mistreated, he was persecuted by his enemies, he was betrayed and abandoned by his friends, he was rejected by his own people, and wrongfully convicted by a colonizing empire. If anybody knows what it's like to feel wrong, it would have been Jesus. But if after all of that, Jesus could stand on the cross, David, and look down upon all the people that did him wrong, and say, Father, forgive them, but they know not what they do. How can we withhold forgiveness from somebody that's done us wrong? How can we say, God, this person isn't worthy of love if after everything Jesus went through, he can still show love to the people that abandoned him and betrayed him and did him wrong? Our responsibility is to understand the, and embrace the vertical love that was freely given to us by Jesus. That's the direction it comes from. Love came down to earth vertically, and then we extend that love horizontally to one another. Does everybody catch the picture? Alright? So, uh, it should be up there on the screen. It's a cross, uh, Desiree. So, again, love comes down from God in heaven, and we receive that love, and then we bend it out towards other people. Mike Tyson had something good on this that I want y'all to hear, because sometimes I know we feel like we don't, we don't, we don't have to love other people. Mike Tyson, I want you to kind of help testify. Go ahead that uh, video for me real quick. Is how you know there have been people in his past that have taken advantage of him, and he doesn't hold a grudge, lives in forgiveness. Ooh. I don't know about that. I mean, I'm not. Oh, like, yeah, listen. Yeah, I'm not like. You're not ready, brother. I'm not like. You, you, you do me wrong? No. You cross the line, like. I cut ties, like. The devil wins. The devil wins. So you're saying the devil wins because someone did me wrong, and I cut ties with that person, and I got never with that person. Yeah, so I gotta be a big person. Because he changed you. Oh, okay. So he's your master because he controls your emotions. He's not your enemy, he's your master. Because you're not who you used to be now. He stole that away from you. So when we, how many of us have been in the generation here? All of us have probably felt like that at some point. You wrong me, man. I, I'm done with you. I'm cutting you off. We'll say stuff like, I'm going to feed him with a long hand of spoon. We'll say stuff that ain't in the Bible like, I, I, I got to love you, but I ain't got to like you. Like, where did you do that? But he's showing us here, the moment we respond in kind and do that, we give them the power. And the devil wins. Because they change who we are as a child of God, as someone who has received love, and now they change who we are internally because we responded in the same way that they treated us. 
And that's why he says, I'm giving you the divine directive, and I'm telling you that the direction comes from God. Next point is the declaration of love. He says, everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God. So check this out. John is telling us how you can know the difference between a true disciple, a true person that's following Jesus for us, a true, a true learner, a pupil, a student, and someone who's actually a counterfeit Christian. This is how he's telling us that you can know the difference. This is how he says in John 13 and 35, this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for one another. I would rather have 25 people in love that really want to love one another than have a building for 250 people that are counterfeit Christians. I want, it's not about the quantity of people, it's about the quality of people. And so Jesus is saying here, if you really want people to know, if you really want unplugged to stand out, if you really want to stand out and show people that you're a Christian, love them. Love them when they don't deserve to be loved. Love them when you don't feel like loving them. Love them when they do you wrong. That's what separates us from the world. Anybody can love someone that loves them back. That's not what makes us Christians. What makes us Christians is when they do us wrong and we can still show the love of Jesus Christ. That's when we are like him. Put up my picture of my cards. So, you got the style. See, the style of a Chrysler 300 and a Rolls Royce, they look real, look kind of much the same from the outside, right? So, the style of them is from, is, is kind of the same. And in the same way, lust, manipulation, abuse of power can look like love. And it can feel like love because it has the same style, but the problem is it don't have the substance. Uh, a Chrysler 300 can have the same style, it can have the same body work as a phantom, but it ain't really no phantom when you look up under that hood. When you look at the money and the substance that's in that car, that's where you see the difference. So, you can walk around and what makes us a Christian is not the title that I carry. It's not me being a chaplain. It's not me carrying a Bible. It's not me prophesying. It's not me speaking in tongues. What good is it if I can speak in an unknown tongue, but I can't speak to you in my natural tongue? What good is it if I can lift up holy hands to God and do all that other good stuff, but then I don't even shake your hand after service? He says it's not the style that determines whether people actually love God. Watch what he says in the next verse. Look at my next screen. Jesus said that there's going to be people that on the last day when they stand before God, they're going to say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? And check this, we did all kind of miracles in your name. And Jesus is going to look at him and say, bro, I never knew you. He didn't even say, I knew you, but I rejected you. He said, I never knew you because you had the style, but we didn't have the substance. So he said, if you really, really want to know what the substance of love is, he says, go to 1 Corinthians 13. Watch this, and this challenged me, and I pray that it challenges you. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not self-seeking. If you're only worried about what I can get and what you can do for me, he says, love is not self-seeking. It's not irritable. How can you love someone, but they get on your nerves all the time? He says, love is not irritable. It does not keep living a record of wrongs. God says, real love says, you did this to me last week, and you always doing this, and you never, no, love doesn't keep a record of the wrong things that we've done. It finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears.
Now that we talked about the directive, we talked about the declaration, now we're going to go to the definition. Here he says in point number four, the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God. Watch this, and I love this. Thank you, Jesus. He says, because God is love. Somebody say that with me real loud on blood. God is love. Come on, one more time. Say it. He says, now that you know the definition of love, Mitchell, he says, 
I want you to understand what the demonstration of love looks like. What good would it be? He says, my dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love one another. If God loved us so much that he saw us, and this is the thing, people will love you based on reputation, what they think they know about you. Some of them will love you, some of them don't like you, but it's based on your reputation. God knows everything that really knows about you, and he still says, I love you. Some of y'all, y'all knew some of the things that I did in my past, you wouldn't even come up to unplug the next day. Some of us, if I knew some of the things that you did, wouldn't nobody want to sit next to you in church. But God says, I know everything there is about you. I know the good, I know the bad, I know the ugly, I know the right, I know the wrong, and I still choose to love you because that's who I am. So he says, if God loved us like this, then certainly we ought to love one another. If God loved me when I was wrong, certainly I can look at my brother, even if he messed up, even if he is wrong, and still say, you're still worthy of my love. You're still worthy of my forgiveness. I'm not going to treat you any differently because God didn't treat me any differently. It's my demonstration of love. Unplug is not about unplug what we do in this church. That is not the reason why I went to the chaplain and said, I want to help us begin to start up another church. I wanted to be among a group of people that said, being unplugged is about what we do when we leave outside the doors. Because people are not going to judge us who are who we are as Christians by what we do in here. It's going to be by what we do when we get out there. If I get up here and I can preach all day with a microphone, but I go to my unit and I don't love all my soldiers, nobody's going to understand anything that I have to say. It's about my demonstration of love. Come here, I'm not going to physically do it. But Jesus demonstrated love. I want you to sit there. Uh, come and sit right here. Jesus demonstrated love one time. Take your, take your shoes off. And I was going to do it, but COVID will be at the exercise on the uh, cautious side. And Jesus, you know, he had one person that betrayed him, right? Jesus is scared. But there's this one scene in the Bible where God comes and he's, he took off his clothes. And in those days, they didn't have shoes. They didn't have on the nice jigs like I got on now with shoes like Mitchell got on. They didn't have on all that stuff. It was dusty over there. So their feet was ragged. Their feet was stained. They didn't have toenail clippers. So imagine what their feet looked like walking around in sandals all day long. And so the house slave would be the person that when you walk inside the house, they would wash your feet. The lowest person in the house, the lowest person in position, in stature, all of that stuff would wash your feet when you come into the door. And Jesus said, I am the God of the universe. But he took off his clothes and he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. And he said, I want you to know that my love is so great that I will wash the dirtiest part of you and still love you the same. I'll get down on my knees and take off my clothes and show you I don't have nothing to hide. I'm God, I'm Jesus' son, and I'm all of that, but I'm not too, my, my love is greatest demonstrated, not by how you serve me, but how I serve you. So he got down on his knees and he began to wash his feet. As I was praying, God began to let me know that it doesn't matter what happened. Doesn't matter what was in your past, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter anything that's happened to you in life, God is always there to love you enough that He will wash the dirtiest parts of us. 
So as you leave and as you prepare to go into whatever the next part of your future is, God wanted me to let you know, I love you. And I'm here, I will always be here, and I will always love you no matter what goes on in your life. God's demonstration of love is not by how we worship him, but how he serves us. Somebody clap your hands at you. Now I'm going to close with this. We have an opportunity, and this is just me asking. There's a family, um, tell me you stand up. This is my friend, my friends, the Bachmeyer family. Timothy, Rebecca, Kaysen, did I pronounce it right? Kaysen, Ainsley, Ainsley, and baby Everly. She's about to give birth to a baby in the next few weeks. And she's our family. Somebody say family. Amen. Family. So, I want us to do a demonstration of love. Abreu, McDonald, you're in the back. We're going to, uh, I sent everybody, if you signed up for us, an email last night with their baby registry on it. Um, uh, Desiree, come in the back. There's a package back there I want you to grab for. I'm going to be the first because as one of the pastors here, I must be the first demonstration of love just like Jesus did. And so I want y'all to know, Tim, Rebecca, I love y'all. And I'm not just saying that with my words, but I wanted to say it in an expression of love. So Desiree has a package for you with some baby clothes, some pampers, some wipes, and we as the unloved family, we want you
Eternal. 